0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And in this episode, I'm interviewing Tanya Swirling. Last episode, I interviewed Bill, who cut Glow, and his partner in editing this time was Tanya. And so we're going to focus on her perspective of editing the show Glow. This episode was cut by Carly McKinney, and... With all that said, here's my interview with Tanya Swirling. To start off, your father was a TV producer, so I'm wondering what is it that you learned from him that you still use to this day?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. My dad is very old school when it comes to storytelling. He believes there should be a, a good beginning, middle, and end to a story. So I think he instilled in me you know, the desire that that I achieve that with my work. Some things we work on are open-ended, and they're kind of left with a question mark for the audience to fill in the blanks, which, which works as well. But um, I think I take that idea and that advice also on a scene level to make sure that each scene you know, tells its own story within, you know, within the context of the whole piece. I would say that's probably the biggest lesson he taught me.
0: And so what was it that attracted you to film editing?
1: It was sort of an accident. I was in college and I knew I wanted to be in the industry and I was kind of leaning more towards writing, but I I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. So there was a position open at the company uh, for which my dad worked, which was uh, Stephen J. Cannell Productions in the editorial department. They had a rather large editorial department back then. I forget how many hours of television they had on the air, uh, considering there were only three going on four networks. I think Fox was just getting started. So, I got a job answering phones in post production and was around editors and sound editors. And after answering phones for a little while, I got bored and there was an opening as an apprentice, which is a glorified runner, but in post production specific. So, it kept me around the editorial process. And it gave me the opportunity to kind of try, you know, we were on film back then, so I I could work on, we used to use black and white dupes to cut trailers for all the shows. And so, uh, the trailer editor guy called Scott Boyd, said, hey, you know, grab some of these and, and have a go. And so I did that for a little while, um, you know, just to get practiced. And pretty quick, we moved to the digital systems, and that gave the assistants a lot more time to kind of mentor the apprentices. And I just clicked with it. It just kind of by accident became something I really enjoyed and had a sensibility for and had a lot of good mentors. And it just, that's where it started, and here I am so many years later.
0: Now, you said you wanted to get into script writing first. Was that something you studied, or was it something else you studied at school?
1: I started to, yeah. I was in a a couple writing classes in college, and my grandfather was a writer in in Hollywood uh, back in the 30s. My dad actually has uh, letter-bound versions of his scripts, and I used to sneak in his office and and read those. And I don't know, I guess I just have always been interested in storytelling, and it starts with... uh, pen and paper or, or uh, typewriters. And, you know, editing is telling a story in a new way. I think if you talk to most editors, you'll, they'll tell you that we tend to be the final version of the script in the editing room. And we do a lot more of that now. A lot of shows kind of rushing into production. so a huge demand for content. And so I find that once you get in the editing room, you know, there's just so much play and there's so many different ways to tell a story and, you know, choose a POV. And so in a weird way, I feel like I kind of write every day as well.
0: How did you get involved with the show Glow?
1: Glow, um, there's an executive producer that works with Jenji Kohan called Mark Burley. And Mark and I worked together many years ago on a show called Freaky Links, which was a short-lived show. But uh, Mark and I got on very well. And we stayed in touch over the years. And He's called me often to see if I was available, and luckily unluckily, I've been working unluckily because I, I hadn't had the chance to work with him again until Glow. He happened to call, and I was just finishing Westworld and met the gang over there, met Carly and Liz and Tara and Genji, and it worked. So I got to get, get over there and work on something a little different.
0: When you cut, you did the second episode, one of your first episodes that aired, and so you were picking up off of Bill's pilot work on glow. So I'm wondering, because in the pilot, you have to work on structure and get the feel for the show going. So how did you work with Bill to make sure that you were executing the show in a similar style?
1: Well, I would say, you know, Bill, uh, first of all, did an amazing job in the pilot, It's such a fun pilot. And he was, I think, taking a break from Orange is the New Black to do that. So when I came on to do episode two, he was back to Orange is the New Black. So, you know, I would just go downstairs and talk to him a little bit, talk to him a little bit about what the gang was looking for ultimately. But I will say that episode two, and this, I think a lot of editors find this, episode two is almost like its own thing coming off of the pilot, because you have to kind of resell it in a, in a strange way, because it's the opportunity to start delving into the characters, you know, a little more deeply uh, Wendy Stansler directed the second episode for us. And, you know, she was really tasked with setting up the beginning of the the process for these characters. The pilot obviously introduced us to them and introduced us to the concept. And episode two was really like, okay, you know, where's this story going to go? So in an in a interesting way, I think the pace and tone that Bill and everybody set up in the pilot is what I grabbed onto. And then as far as The editing style, you know, the thing I found interesting working with them is, you know, they're very focused on pace and they're very focused on the comedy. They don't want to be, you know, too over the top, but they definitely want it to land and um, they want to tell these character stories. So I would say with each episode, we tried to stick with those those things, the character, the comedy and, and the story and not be too hung up on any specific editing style. I think if you watch all the episodes you may not see much difference between them but I wouldn't say that there was any you know gimmick or, or style choice it was really just making sure you the audience stayed focused on those bits.
0: Well and you mentioned the character and there's something in the second episode which I found very interesting that sort of made me think about the characters which is when Alison Bree's character Ruth offers her beat-up old shoes to her potential new teammate and then the teammate ends up taking her good shoes And there's these little character moments throughout the series, but especially in the second episode, there's a few little moments. And so I'm wondering, how do you approach cutting an episode or cutting moments to reveal character?
1: Well, in general, um, sometimes you you just kind of go back through a scene and try and find some nuance and some subtlety to put back into the scene. Um, I would say this show was so well-written, and I feel like those beats were on the script level. And the actors were so committed in this show. They there were a lot of new women to acting and some people who came from the stage. So we sort of ran the gamut of experience, but every one of them was so I think they just loved the show so much and were so committed to making it great that those beats were just there. You know, ultimately like a scene like that for instance, you know, there were a couple other images in that scene at the end where she looks down at her shoes and and then Melrose looks at the shoes, you know, the scene was kind of built out a little bit longer. So I would say that a moment like that one, it just took kind of honing it down to its, its core, its essence, you know, not overdoing it, not underdoing it. And I think we achieved that, but I do think Wendy Stanzler you know, got those beats for us. And, and our job in the cutting room was just, you know, fine tuning them. I, I wouldn't say that in this particular case, I didn't have to go back in and kind of manufacture anything to get those little character beats across.
0: Well, what was Allison Breeze rushes like? What was the performance like that she was giving you?
1: Amazing. I have to say our main cast was so good and so spot on. You know, the dedication was there all the time. And, and our supporting cast, I would say that as well. Like I said, there were some, some women who were newer to acting, so you no know, they may have had a couple more takes filmed just to make sure you know they got certain moments, but the dedication of this cast was hundred percent the whole time it was it was obviously pretty exhaustive. I mean they had to learn how to choreograph you know fake fighting, and they all did their own stunts i mean the they slipped themselves and fell to the ground and you know, Allison's rushes were amazing. Betty was amazing. Mark was amazing. I mean, I can't say enough about this group of, of actors. What made my job hard in the cutting room was just picking the best of the best. And in some cases, working around some of the choreography because they're not all athletes. You know, they, we had a, a great stunt coordinator and the women all did a really, really good job. But I mean, I got to tell you, it's a sort of a little bit of an embarrassment of riches in this one. I got lucky with this job. <laughs>
0: And I heard that in the second season, there's even a a breakdancing sequence that they had to learn to breakdance for.
1: I don't know. You know, I wasn't able to return for season two because of scheduling. So I will be an excited fan, along with uh, everybody else, to see what they've done this season.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier that everyone was sort of pushing to make sure the humor worked and what have you, but it's also a drama in many cases. So how did you go about finding a balance between the humorous moments and the drama?
1: I would say... You know, really just playing it real. I think that the humor was, you know, in the dialogue and certainly performed. But I think that the situation, I mean, the fact that these women came from all different backgrounds and found themselves suddenly in this wrestling show is just as a background humorous. You know, you just it's kind of crazy to think about how people end up, you know, in these outrageous sort of broad entertainment experiences. Yeah, Recently, a couple of years ago, I went to the roller derby. There's actually a roller derby in L.A. that I didn't even know existed. And I had the same feeling as I sat there in the audience watching the roller derby. I thought, God, how did these people end up here? I'm sure they all have a story. They all have a backstory. I imagine not all of them, you know, grew up saying, hey, I want to be in the roller derby. And I think the same was true with the original Women of Glow and what we tried to uh, show in the show Glow that they're meant to be normal, regular people uh, in this sort of extraordinary circumstance. So I feel like I approached it basically as a human situation, you know, adult situation with, with some humorous moments. The one thing I would say that I did differently than I typically do with the dramas I work on is you can be a little cuttier. You can, you know, throw in an extra reaction shot here and there that would normally feel a little like, whoa, that happened too quick and too fast. But in the comedy world, it's a great little, you know, moment to raise an eyebrow or get a head cock in there or something along those lines that can really sort of accent a moment and really, you know, without adding a laugh track, it gives you a little levity to a moment. And again, I feel like our actors were really good at delivering that stuff. So there were plenty of, you know, I'm thinking of the scene in the episode that Melanie Mayron directed where Sheila is confessing that, you know, she, she is who she is when she's when she's a wolf. And Ruth explains a similar feeling about who she connected to as a child. And, you know, it's a very serious scene and it's a very dramatic scene for both of them. But the fact that she kind of interjects her feelings there lightens the scene up. And I feel like that moment worked great as a little moment of levity. I mean, a moment of comedy but at its core, a moment of levity in a very, very dramatic scene.
0: Well, and I also think about one of my favorite jokes in the show is where Mark makes one of the ladies wait outside because they're sleeping together. And then he goes in and there's a whole dramatic moment. And then she comes walking in afterwards and he gets all angry at her for being late, even though he's the one who set that all up. Oh, right. <laughs> Which is just a great sort of <laughs> set up. And she has to wait out there and we watch her for a bit as the next lady comes in. Yeah, it's just I remember fantastic. That. Now, you tackled the last episode, which is probably one of my favorite episodes, and it has most of the wrestling in it, and one of the things when you're cutting a fight scene or an action scene is keeping the audience oriented to what's happening, where they are in the scene, and what's going on, so I'm wondering, how did you approach cutting the wrestling uh, to keep us oriented and focused and still engaged?
1: Uh, That's stuff was huge. I mean, Tristram uh, Shapiro directed that episode. And I mean, it's amazing how much coverage she was able to get for me on that. And basically, my process is, is I just pull everything that we have, no matter what angle the camera, you know, even if there's something in it that's not worthwhile, I just pull everything based on the choreography of the scene. And then sort of pick and choose as I'm assembling during the first assembly, kind of pick and choose the best moments of those pulls. And then I take a look at it and see, okay, you know, am I keeping the audience clear on the action here? And I try and sit back as an audience member, you know, I try and step away from the Abbott as much as I can, you know, so I'm watching it like a real person. (laughs) And then I go back and I, and I look at, okay, you know, as an audience member, I feel like, Oh, I'm in close-ups a little bit too much. I'm not getting a sense of, you know, what their feet are doing, you know, what their bodies are doing. So I'll go back and I'll look at that section of the action and I'll look at the wider shots and see, you know, which of those is the best. And then I'll, I'll overcut that. A lot of times, you know, we are calling it previewing now. We'll overcut a piece of action on a higher video channel, you know, leaving the original there just in case, and then, you know, see how that plays. And that was basically the approach on that, to just really making sure I checked every piece of the action that I had. And then, you know, going back and fine tuning it. And then obviously, you know, Tristram came in and, and worked with me because some of the Wrestling went on a little too long in some of the scenes, so we figured how can we pull you know, 20 seconds out of this wrestling act and still make it feel fluid. And then obviously the producers came in after that and did more work. But yeah, the, the main objective is to, first of all, you know, make sure we're pulling the best stunts, make sure it looks real, you know, based on wrestling real. And then the most important thing is making sure your audience is able to follow the action. So it's, it's a multi-level you know, assembly situation on that.
0: Well, and I noticed that that was one of the longer episodes. So one of the questions I've had for various Netflix editors is when you're working for HBO or Netflix, where you're not locked into commercials and you're also not really locked into a time limit, one of the problems might become, you know, you've seen this footage so much. So how do you determine what needs to go and what's playing right when, you know, you don't have that limit anymore of, you know, 42 minutes or 22 minutes? but you're still wanting to keep all the good stuff in, right? So how do you determine when it's too much and when it's not enough?
1: I would say, yeah, you're right. It's tricky because the more you watch things, sometimes, you know, there is the risk that you know the material too well. So in a weird way, you might become bored with it. And so suddenly you might think like, oh God, that scene was working great the first five times I watched, but now it feels slow or it feels too long. You know, it's tricky and you've got to be really disciplined not to you know, take something away because you've seen it so many times. And certainly we show the episode to fresh eyes and get new opinions. I think, I can't remember exactly how we did it on glow, but I do feel like they showed certain cuts to certain people and then later cuts to a fresh, you know, I think writer's assistants and and people like that within the company to get, you know, a fresh perspective. And certainly, you know, Netflix, they're very good about the kinds of notes that they give. They tend to be objective and they tend to, Pretty much leave it into the in the producer's hands, but I will say that you know the group that I work with on Glow is really smart and obviously very experienced, and they would just talk about it in the room. You know, we would watch a scene and we'd love a scene and think it worked really really great, and then they might say, you know, it's not moving the story forward enough for us, or it's really not important to play that beat anymore because of some other reason and we'll pull it out and and we'll all sit back and watch it that material out and everyone is really honest about whether it's working for them or not working for them and really sort of puts aside you know being precious about a good scene i mean a good scene is hard to let go of but if it's really not doing the episode anything sometimes it's gotta gotta go gotta go on those dvd extras it's not. It's not easy, but I think it's just when you've got people you trust who understand the objective of the material, you, you just got to listen to their reactions, and hopefully, you know, make the right decision.
0: I have one last question that I like to ask all the editors that I interview, mm-hmm. and that's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch?
1: Film, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind, and it's funny, it's not on television very often, but I just thought. I would say Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder film. It amazes me what a great film that is, and what an incredible performance Gene Wilder gives in that film. I, I don't. I think any time it's ever been on television, and I've come across it, and I sat down and just watched it till the bitter end. I think it's a great film. So that that's the first one that came to my mind.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for letting me interview.
1: Sure, thanks. Appreciate it.
0: So that was my interview with Tanya. I'd like to thank Tanya for allowing me to interview her. I'd also like to thank Carly McKinney for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell.
1: Thanks for listening.